So anyway, grab a Bible if you have it, or open up your app um, if you don't. And we're going we're gonna to be in, Le- in Leviticus again today. Um, but just quickly, let me give you an idea of where we've been, in case you haven't been, been with us the last couple weeks. Uh, the first week we started with Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, word 1, which was, the first word of the book is Vayikra, which is the Hebrew name for the book. And what it says in Leviticus 1, it says, the Lord called to Moses. And what a lot of commentators say is that that word vaigra, which is translated as called, really better would be translated God continued to call. So the question of Leviticus is what, that God is, is what is God continuing to do? What is it that God was continuing? And what we discussed is that God is continuing to, to bring order to the chaos and to make right creation. He's, bringing, he's restoring justice to all of creation. And he's doing that by bringing and introducing order into our lives. And so Leviticus is a book of laws and rituals because it's through these rituals that God is continuing his work bringing order to creation. So that's really what the whole book is doing is that through these rituals, we enact justice into the world. Now, week two, we talked about how the early Israels thought about this because this was really transformative for the early Hebrews because they recognized, for them, they believed then that worship wasn't about appeasing an angry God or trying to satisfy some distant deity that might do harm to you, might bless you, you didn't know, and so you just had to try to give him sacrifices in order to please them. What the Israelites recognized is worship is actually a way that we embody and enact justice in our world. Worship isn't just appeasing God. Worship is partnering with God to recreate the world as a place of goodness, justice, and mercy. So this just radically, this was brand new religious thinking of the day. It was, it was incredibly progressive because they saw themselves as partners with God in bringing good into the world. So uh, today we're gonna we're going to we're gonna pick this up. And I, I want to as kind of as uh, before we get into it, these last several weeks we've been really really zoomed in, almost the microscopic level. Right? It took us two weeks to get through the first two verses of Leviticus. Actually, well, we spent all of week one just on the first word. And, and today, we're gonna, we need to zoom way back out. We're going to try to pick up some speed, and my goal today is to cover the, the next, all the first seven chapters of Leviticus. I want to zoom out and kind of get like a bird's eye view. And, and, uh, but there's a reason for that. It's not just to speed things up. There's a reason for it. And the reason is not that I'm trying to skip some things. You might hear something that, or you have read something in your readings, and you're like, oh, we didn't mention that. Please, by all means, uh, let me know if you think I skipped something that you have an important question. In fact, I put a post on Facebook saying I want to hear everyone's questions, and thank you to those of you who have responded to that. But I want to hear everyone's questions. If I don't hit it today, it, it could several reasons. I might just have missed it. I, I very likely just don't know. Um, but I, the real reason why I want to zoom out today is because um, – Well, there's two reasons. Number one, as I said to you these last several weeks, that in the book of Leviticus, the theology is embedded in the rituals. And that's a really important thing for us to grasp because we are usually looking for what's the point, right? I'm going to try to tell you a little bit about that today. But those those points, the teaching, was embedded in the ritual. And a lot of times I think we have it reversed. We think that that it was the teaching that came first, like the knowledge, and that was that the ritual came second. But that wasn't the way it was. It was the ritual came first, and these rituals were designed to slowly, over the centuries, over years, through generations, by enacting these rituals, these theological points began to be realized. And so it's important that we, we have to kind of zoom, we have to zoom out because the theology is embedded in them. And so the second reason is, is to, to get it, we need to get a big picture view of what these kind of, a, uh, you know, the 70,000 feet cruising altitude looking down to get an idea of the wider scope of what these 
things are are trying to do. Um, and so that's the first reason. Second reason is some of the details have been lost to history, and that's just that's just the reality of it. Like we are living in a completely different day and age than what these books were written. Uh, and I can give you kind of an example. It was, it, here's an example. If I would if I'd say to you guys today that hey, yesterday I drove over to Norris to to mow, to mow. if I just said yeah, yeah, I drove to Norris, you guys would know exactly what I was talking about. You know I, what I mean. It's like I hopped in my car, probably dealt with a little bit of traffic, maybe turned on the radio, and I went over went to to where Nora lives. Um, I don't have to explain what that means. Like the word drive, that can mean a lot of different things, right? You can drive a nail, you can drive a herd of cattle, you can drive home your point, you can drive a golf ball. I mean, it can, drive can mean a lot of different things, but culturally, you understand exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Now imagine, if you can, just what would it be like like five, 6,000 years in the future if someone would come across a sentence like, I drove to Norris? I mean, think about it. Would they even have, they even have cars? In 5,000 years? Would they have any idea what that means? Would they, will there even be a need in 5,000 years for people to like literally move their body from point A to point B in order to do things? Like, will it just like be like all like mind control? In the, well, we don't know. Like in 5,000 years, people may have absolutely no idea what it is that that means. And so here's the point, that in the book of Leviticus, a lot of these details simply weren't explained because they didn't need to be. They were just culturally understood. Just like I don't explain to you, hey, when I, well, okay, when I say I drove to Norris, what I mean is I got in my vehicle and I harnessed the power of fossil, fossil fuels to propel myself through space in order to arrive at the place where Nora eats and sleeps. You know I mean, like, I don't have to explain that, right? So those details aren't in here because it was just, they just knew. And so today what happens is those details have been lost. We're living in a totally different culture. We have completely different ideas about spirituality, about humanity, about philosophy, about morality. And um, much of these things, like simple, you could just read the rabbis and they're like, yeah. Just. And so it's really what it is. It's up to historians and anthropologists and theologians um, to really kind of give us some insight into what, these, what the details mean. And honestly, a lot of it is just conjecture. It's just people's best guesses. And so there may be some times where I point out, hey, here's what the rabbis kind of say, or here's what a lot of theologians believe. But a lot of it is just kind of, it's just speculation. So we're going to look, jump into Leviticus and work. We'll start again in Leviticus chapter 1. So pull that up and uh, we'll take off. So, okay, first of all, oh, I want to bring out the, the whiteboard. It's okay. In Leviticus, um, the first seven chapters deals with five offerings. God, in these chapters, is going to define for the ancient Hebrews five ritualistic offering sacrifices that they could bring to God. Each of them were different. Each of them had, had their own unique uh, kind of uh, components of the ritual. But they were all kind of worked together to create this, this bigger image and philosophical, theological ideas. The five here's what, First of all, let's just talk about what they were. Number one was the burnt offering. The Hebrew word for that was olah. Number the second one was the the grain offering. The Hebrew word for that is minha. The third one was the fellowship of the peace offering, shelamim. Uh, the fourth one is the sin offering, which in Hebrew is hatat. And the fifth one is the guilt offering, which is I can't remember what the Hebrew for the guilt offering. Let's see if I have it in my notes. I do asham. So if I can remember, uh, it's it's ola minha shelamim hatat asham. So these are the five different like prescriptive ritual sacrifices in the first seven uh, chapters of the book of Leviticus. Now, here's what's incredible about these sacrifices, just from, again, from bird's eye view. We'll dive into them in a little bit more detail in a moment, but just if, if you pull back, here's what is fascinating. Of the first five 
Well, the, of the five offerings, I, they refer back to these over and over again. But of the five sacrificial offerings, the first three of them are completely voluntary. I, I love this. The first three of them, they're just about joy, gratitude, peace, contentment. And in the first three offerings, no one is required to do anything. They are simply, God just speaks to them and says, hey, if anyone desires to draw near to me because of this, or if anyone's coming near to me like this, Here's how you can draw near to me. Nobody is mandated to do anything. I found that absolutely fascinating. The, the, the last two, we'll talk about them as well, the last two uh, ritual offerings are for the times in your, in your life when you realize that you've broken something or you've violated something. The times in your life where you have this, this very deep sense within you that there's been some injustice that you personally are responsible for and you're asking yourself the question, how do I make things right? And so this is really what these, these five offerings are dealing with. But what I, again, I just want to say this. I want us to get this. The book of Leviticus does not begin with legalism, with judgment, with condemnation, with guilt. Leviticus begins with grace. I mean, we, need to, we just need to let that set in. Leviticus begins with God saying, hey, if anyone among you finds themselves filled to this overflowing with a sense of gratefulness, with a sense of joy. If you find yourself full of peace, if you look at your life and you're thinking, wow, here's how you can draw near to me. Now ask yourself why. Think about this. Why would God come to a group of former slaves that he had just delivered miraculously from 400 years of slavery? Why would he say to them, hey, you know what? If you're noticing that life is good for you now, if you look at your life and you think, man, I am so thankful for what it, for my life. Here's how you can give full expression. Here's how you can take that moment of, of gratitude, that moment of joy. And here's how you can give. Here's a ritual. Here's a way that you can physically embody and step in that moment and sap all of the goodness, all of the life. Here's how you can take all that is beautiful and true in that moment and actualize it, embody it in the reality of your life. I mean, this was radical thinking for the ancient religions. And, and my, my question is, to think about this, how awesome would it be today if for us, if as a community, if as a church, or even really, what if all of humanity, if we just had these rituals, these ways that we could um, physically in our body center ourselves on the things that really matter in life? What if there was some way that, how much better would our life be if there was something for us that would help us to, to be present in the moments of life and to recognize just how good, just how blessed, just how beautiful, just how amazing this life actually is. So let's just say it again, just for the joy, but Leviticus does not begin with law or with judgment or with guilt. It begins with grace. It just, it, it's not God saying, all right, so people have sinned, let's get the lightning bolts, let's get this thing on. No, no, it's... It's God saying, if any of you sense that life is good, and if you're having this, this, this sense of awe, if your soul is filled with wonder, here's how you can grab hold of those moments, enter into them, and step into my presence with joy. So let's take a look at the offerings. Um, the first one, the Ola, is the burnt offering, and we'll read about it in Leviticus chapter 1. We'll start in verse number 3. So God says, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are offered a male without defect. 
You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord, and then Aaron's sons and the priests shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest are to put the fire, put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The Olah as an offering was primarily about expressing gratitude to God. And I think when we zoom in, because I know you're probably doing exactly what I've been doing the last two weeks, thinking, okay, they took the fat, and what did they do, the kidneys, and what, and what does all this mean? And you get involved in it, and it's, you know, and look, listen, I'm, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. We're going to deal with the, the reality that these are brutal and you know, very barbaric, um, and there's a lot of bloodshed happening. But if, you, if we zoom out, the purpose of the Olah was an expression of gratitude to God. Now, what I find so fat, you can see it in a couple places. Um, if you look at the last verse we read, it says, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It was, it, it, that, that word, an aroma pleasing to the Lord, was, becomes this refrain throughout these, these sacrifices. That The idea was that, um, well, the, the Hebrew word to burn, Burn something, it really, it, I mean, it translates to being to set it on fire, but only all of it is what you do is you burn. But it doesn't literally mean that. What it literally means is to turn something into smoke. See, what these offerings are doing, it's answering this question that, the, that people have, like all of humanity had, was wrestling with is, okay, I, I, I just want to express my gratitude to God. Like I've looked at, I mean, God has just delivered us and life is good and I have this bounty in my family and kids and, and I just have this sense inside of me that I know that I am, cannot personally take responsibility for all the good that's come my way. Like I didn't make the sunshine on these crops, I didn't make the water fall, yet I received the land's bounty and, and these children, like I, I don't deserve all this good. And so I, people have wrestled with this sense of gratitude. But the question, of course, is how do I bring an offering to God? Like how, what am I going to do? Just like UPS this to heaven? Like, how do, you, how do I, as a human stuck on earth, get something to, to God in heaven? And well, the, question, the answer was, well, let's turn it into smoke. And so the word burn literally means to turn it into smoke. And the idea was is that if I could take this offering, it really wasn't about sacrifice. It was about transformation. And what the altar did is the altar transformed your offering from something that was earthly to something that was heavenly. It, would, it transformed from something that was physical into smoke that would, that would raise up, it would go up. And it, this refrain happens over and over throughout all these sacrifices, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. The Olah was about expressing your gratitude to God. Now, let me ask you a question. When you look at the world today, do you get a sense that, that as we, maybe yourself, just humanity in general, do you get a sense that we can be pretty ungrateful I mean, if you think, if you look around, like how many complainers, like I am, admittedly, I'm probably the biggest complainer that I know. Like, and, and I, 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 I just, it's so hard for me sometimes to really see the good because I can so clearly, I am, I am 100%, I've got see the negative, like on lockdown, you know what I mean? Like Olympic levels, I am great at that. But really, how do you feel, like the way, how do we do this? Really think about it, especially in the West, we have so much blessings. I mean, our lives are so good compared. We are the we are the one percent. Every one of us. 
We are the richest people the world has ever seen. It doesn't matter today if you are unemployed and living in abject poverty by the standards of all of the rest of humanity for all of history, you are rich. We are so blessed. And so ask yourself, do you think we do a pretty good job of being grateful? I mean, I know, like I said, I admit, I have a terrible time with this. And I, and I shared some of this with you guys yesterday. Some of you were sitting out there. We were talking. Thursday, I was so frustrated. I was so upset. I was really, honestly, I was just throwing a pity party for myself. I was, I was kind of frustrated. I was mad. It had been a super busy week, and I had a lot of things on my plate, a lot of things I really wanted to do. There was a, the biggest disc golf tournament of the year that I really wanted to play in was yesterday. I, oh, I couldn't play it because I'm freaking running so I was mad about that. And then Tuesday night at the admin meeting, I know, don't shake your head at me else. Back you down. Um, but no, you're right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's ridiculous. I admit that it's ridiculous, but I was just caught in this moment. And uh, Tuesday at the admin meeting, I, I realized, oh, I need to kind of rework my sermon. So I, Monday and Tuesday, I'd been working towards one idea, and I realized I needed to go a different direction. So I had to start over with that, and I was frustrated. But then I also learned that, hey, by the way, um, I, had to go pick, I had to go pick up the trailer for the running. So I didn't want to get a trailer. I wanted to get a truck. We didn't have enough money to rent a truck. And that made me mad. Like, why people, oh, why don't we have enough money? And Amanda tells us the offerings have been really bad all, all, all summer long. And I'm just, I was just frustrated. I was just throwing a pity party for myself. And so I was driving back with the trailer and I had to go all the way to the other side of Anderson. And I was just, I was just throwing a pity party. And it was really, I was having this moment. And I, I really feel like God spoke to me. And I don't say this very often. Like, you know, I don't say things like this very often. I, I just don't like kind of leveraging that, like what God said. But I really feel like God just said, Ryan, forget about the Roman cell and just enjoy time with your friends. Like, just recognize this is family night and you're just going to go hang out with your friends. And, you know, I did. Like, that night, it was a blast. And I love going through junk. And we were laughing and we had fun and putting on stupid things and finding stuff. And, like, why would someone donate this? And, like, you know, it, it was just, it was a lot of fun. And then Saturday was awesome. I know we've already said this, but it was amazing. And what do you think? It was like 1100 or something. I don't know. Over $1,000 that we raised. And so many people came early and stayed all day. And then the ones who couldn't stay all day stayed as long as they could. And it was really, and it was good. And, and the Ola, as a sacrifice, was God's way of saying, let me give you a ritual so that you can actually learn to step into those moments of life and enjoy the beauty that's all around you. Because you might miss it. It's so easy for us as humans to miss those moments. And, and, and the Ola was God's way of saying, you've got to capture them. You've got to step into them. You've got to, you need something tangible and physical that will give you a way to, to step into that. Because anybody, I mean, come on. Anybody ever tend towards anxiety and depression and frustration? Man, that is so mean. I know for some of us. And this is God's way of saying, you, we need a humanity. We need a way to embody and express joy and gratitude. And there's a couple of things about the Ola that is just fascinating. Um, first of all, the Ola, unlike all of the rest of the offerings, the Ola was entirely consumed on the altar. Uh, that's really unique, and if, if you read the details of the other ones, you know, you would take this part and put it on the altar, but these parts are just save and maybe be used for food or take it home and do something with it. Um, but the Ola, the animal was skinned, and then all of the inside of the animal, all of it, the car- its carcass, um, the, the internal organs, the fat, everything was placed upon the altar. Um, and here's what that means. The skin was removed, but the rest of it was given, and it was a way of the, of the worshiper to say, God... I give all of my inside, like all of who I am, all of the most important things of who I am, my soul, my innermost being, my wishes, my heart, my desire, like that, you know, that, that place inside of you that, it, that you come from. 
And it was a way of saying, God, I hold nothing of me back. I'm so grateful for all that you've given me. I'm so thankful. I'm, I, I'm so overcome with this emotion of gratitude that I give my whole self to you. And it wasn't just a ritual. So I, what we recognize is that, so this is not just some dry, dead, like mechanical, just go through the motions, you cut in, put the pieces. No, it was this, it was, this ritual was embodying something very, very deep and very, very beautiful that was happening on the inside. Now, a couple of things that I've been thinking about this week in my own life that's been instructing me. Um, is, I reckon I'm not, I don't do, always do a very good job. Let me ask you this. How many of you guys, this is a, this is a dumb question, it's not a trick question, just honestly. How many of you guys want God's blessing on your life, right? I mean, you want God to bless your family, you want God to bless your kids, you want God to bless your finances. Yeah, yeah, all of us, right? We all want God's blessing on our lives. We all do. Uh, we want to live in, with God's favor. But let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this and be honest. When God blesses you, does God's blessing always pull you closer to God? Or does it? Or do you find in yourself, like I see in myself, a tendency for there will be, to be times... When God does something good, you have something good that happens in your life, and it actually pulls you further away from God. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Because one thing that I see in myself, I see this all the time, and as a pastor, I have seen this for, I, from day one of being in ministry, up until, like I see it over and over again, is you get that new get that promotion at work or a new job, and now all of a sudden things are a little bit like the finances are going to be a little bit better, but you know, I'm, I'm a little too tired to show up on family night. I just, I'm just kind of, I got a lot going, a lot on my plate, and, and I, you know, God's really blessed me, and I just don't have time to, sh- to be a family anymore. Or, you know, that you get that new relationship. This is the one I think is the biggest one. Like, you enter that new relationship, and it's so, like, you're like, yes! And there had always been this emptiness, there had always been this thing inside of you that was like, yeah. Because the truth of the matter is, everybody prays when it comes to pain, right? Someone's in the hospital, I got I finally have, I've got something to pray about, finally, you know. Now you'll hear someone in prayers and people speak up. But everybody prays when it comes to pain. But what about those times when things are going really, really well in that new relationship, and it feels great, and then some days you're like, I don't know, man, I think maybe I'd just really go to brunch and just look, you know, stare into her eyes or what, you know. And, and so ask yourself the question, think about this. If you were God and you knew that your blessings on somebody's life could potentially and often does pull them away and do damage to their spiritual welfare, would you bless them? Well, here's a, here's a, if you were God, would you bless you? Because we all want God's blessings in our life. And what the Ola is showing us is that when God blesses us, we are supposed to allow that blessing to open up our eyes to a deeper sense of gratitude, a deeper sense of God's goodness and beauty. And that is supposed to motivate us to come closer to God. And the reality is so many times in our life, we take all of the good for granted. And when something good happens, like whatever, and then just, we allow that blessing to pull us further away from God. There's this, there's this really... Beautiful passage in um, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 12, I believe, where Jesus says this. He says, to whom much is given, much is required. And he really, where, where did he get that? Well, he, Jesus gets this from the Old The idea is that when God brings this bountiful blessing into our lives, our response is to enter into that moment and to grab hold of it and not to let it pass us by and to recognize that this is good and it's beautiful. And so the whole law was just God's way of saying, if you find inside of yourself a sense of joy, a sense of gratitude, if you recognize that you are in a beautiful moment, don't let it pass you by. Draw near to me. Come to me and embody that moment and tap all of the life, take all of the goodness from those moments of life that bring you the most joy. 
Well, let's move on. I, I think that, uh, oh, is it 11.30 already? Yes. <laughs> this just turned into a two-part sermon. Um, <clears throat> I can see that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate you. <laughs> I can, I'll, delete, I'll delete that part. Verse 2, right? Okay, we're going to get to chapter 2 right now, I promise. The next one is the grain offering, the mean hop. See, we're making progress. The mean hop. Um, a lot of people call the, the grain offering a cereal offering uh, because that's what they ate for cereal. So they just, just ate the grain. We kind of pack, we like to smush it down into little flakes and put a bunch of sugar on it. You know, but that's not the way it was. So, um, but the mean hop was very similar to the burnt offering. We can read about it in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. That's important, so you can underline that or note that. They are to pour olive oil on it and to put incense on it. So a couple things. First of all, when you bring a cereal offering or, or a grain offering to the Lord, you, you bring it, you take this thing, but it says, first of all, it's to be of the finest Flour. When we, when we read that today, we're like, okay, it's supposed to be the finest flour. I got it. But whoa, whoa, whoa. To, to them, that's totally different. Because flour in, in this time was very, very coarse. Remember, they didn't have machines that would grind it. Into, like, we think of flour, like, you know, it's like this dust just kind of floats away because it's just pulverized too. But, but in the ancient, all this was done by hand, probably with a rock, right? Just a rock, and they would just grind that flour on top of another rock. And they'd be like, get in the dirt, like, oh, man, they try to scoop it back up, put it on there, like, they try to blow some of the dirt off and just keep going. And so when God says, I want this to be of the finest flour, that would have taken a huge amount of effort. It would have been a lot of work. So first of all, and this offering was all about work. And matter, matter of fact, it was really, really difficult work. It was hard work. Maybe you could even think of the word toil. So the first thing is, is that toil. The times of your life where you just feel like you're just toiling, you're slogging through something. You ever been there? It's like just like it's just overtime and it's just gears going and you go on or you got like the you know seven a.m. to five p.m. outreach and like how does this thing ever get in? It's just toil. It's just hard. So first of all, it's the finest flour. And the second thing um, says you you put some oil in it, season with olive oil. Now in the scriptures, a lot of you guys know this. Oil is always symbolic. Um, well, the word is of uh, the anointing, and what, what that means is the anointing is God's presence resting on somebody to equip or enable them to do a particular task or work, right? So God says, and those, so, so this is all about those that toil your work, and then you put get some oil in it, which is symbolic of God's anointing on you that equips you for the task. And um, and there's this, there's this really cool story in the book of Samuel about the anointing where the prophet Samuel, he's really depressed, he's frustrated, right? He's, he, he was so bummed out because he thought Saul was going to be a great king, and Saul turns out to be a pretty rotten king. And so uh, God speaks to Samuel. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, God says, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, my man. It's kind of like, you can read behind the lines. And it says, And be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse in Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So the idea is that oil was always symbolic, um, that, the, that the divine presence was with you to equip you and enable you to accomplish a particular task. So fill your horn with oil. I go pour it onto David because I am equipping him to be king. I'm anointing him to be king. So they take the finest flour of your toil, take the, take the oil symbolic of God's anointing, and then it says incense. Now, this is what's fascinating about incense. We, what we have today is not incense. When you go to the store and you get the little sticky, that's not really incense. That's like this is heavily perfumed charcoal, really. Uh, maybe some other things in it. But, but true incense, because what we have is very perfumey, and it's just like you just open the box, your house already smells. But especially back in these days, 
Incense was just like, you know, maybe some extracts of these flowers and some bark of this tree. And they, took, they found this root and they're like, you know, they, what if they dried it out and smashed it up? And um, so, it, A, incense was very, very expensive. Um, but for the interesting thing, most interesting, interesting thing about incense is that for incense to give its beautiful aroma, it can only do so uh, when it has been crushed, it's been beaten, it's been burned, or put under pressure. And so they would take the, the incense and they would put it under a tremendous amount of pressure to fuse it together. Or they would take the incense and they would burn it. Or they would, uh, they would take it and they would crush it up. And they would pulverize it. it would, and, and, and so what's the symbolism? I mean, think about this. For incense to give its beautiful gift, it has to go through something hard. You can see how these early sacrifices had this very deep and beautiful meaning to these ancient Hebrews, Right? who had been through 400 years of like toil and through 400 years of pain and 400 years of, of just brutal living. But yet the sense that God was somehow with them and in the midst of all the struggle, in the midst of all the pain, God was able to do something beautiful. So the, 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 the minha was for those times of life where you recognize, man, I am right in the middle of something. Or I have just come through something that was hard. Anybody ever been through something like that where it's just like toil? Like, like a relationship just crumbled or someone passed away and that just left this emptiness inside of you and you're like, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. And then somehow you made it through. And somehow it was like, I don't even know. But And, and what do you do in those moments? Like how do you, what do you do in those moments where you thought that you were never going to talk, like you thought there was no way you were going to be able to salvage this relationship and yet somehow it, you it's still, it's still, you're making it, and it's, and it's getting better. Like, what, how do you embrace that? How do you step into that? And so God said, let me give you this ritual so that you can, you can take those difficult moments of your life, and you can put them into the crucible, you put them into the fire, and they can begin to produce this very beautiful aroma. How do you go through hard, difficult things and come out on the other side? I love the fact that in this, think about in your own life, you may be going through something difficult. Or maybe you've gone through something difficult. And what I love about this sacrifice is that the oil was added to the sacrifice. As this constant reminder that no matter what you're going through and no matter how difficult it is, God is with you. His presence is there. And his presence isn't only there. He's not just a spectator sitting on the side going, yeah, go you, yay you, I hope, hope it works out. No, God is there and he's anointing you. He's equipping you. He's strengthening you. He's giving you the ability where your ability lacks. And when you're at the very end of your strength, at the end of your rope, God is giving you the strength to stand. There's this one passage in the New Testament where it says, after you have done everything to stand, stand. At the very, at the last moment where you think that you're at the edge of exhaustion and you've given your all, stand firm. Stand. So Paul in Ephesians tells us this, just to, there's a little, that this, the power of the Holy Spirit is God's presence in your life that equips you to come through the darkest, most difficult crucibles of life and to come through the other side. And then that allows my life and your life to become this beautiful, fragrant offering. Our life becomes a gift. So what this, you can see now why thousands of years later, the New Testament writer says, hey, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's not about it. It's offer your life. It's your life. That's the gift. And so the, the minha was this reminder that your life, the very darkest moments, the worst things that you can possibly imagine, that with God can become a beautiful gift. 
Let me just give you one more. I, 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 we'll do worship. I, we'll, we're still going to do worship. I, I want to stop there, but there's just one more. Let me just do the sin offering. The, um, not the sin offering. The peace yeah. offering. It's Shelamim. Because, I, because this, is all, this is driving towards this moment of, of, the, of the Shelamim. You can even think, if you think of the word Shelam, Shelamim, you can kind of hear the word Shalom. The word Shelamim is a derivative of the word Shalom. It's, the word is kind of baked in there. Some people call it the wellness offering. And, and the wellness offering or the peace offering was a celebration of wholeness. It's just a celebration of those times of your life, this recognition of well, of well-being. Now, here's what's interesting about peace, especially in the ancient world. In the ancient world, peace treaties, like between two opposing kings, two opposing armies, peace treaties were always celebrated over a meal. So the Shelamim was actually a ritual meal. I forget the Hebrew word for it. Um, uh, it's in there. I'll, I'll look it up. Maybe tell you next week. But the Shelamim was a ritual meal. It was, all, of this, all, all of this sacrifice wasn't consumed on the altar. You would bring some of it, like the kidneys and the fat was put on the altar, but then the meat was reserved. And it was you would take it back, and you would celebrate a meal with the person who, with whom you now have established peace. And it was just beautiful. And you, and you see this kind of, this is a theme that goes all throughout the scriptures. In the ancient world, the idea, the, the goal was to, to, like, to, have, to have peace with God. And so peace was, so in the Shelamim, what was thought of is that the part that was, the portion that was placed on the altar, that was the thought of as the portion of the meal that was for God. So you would take this part that were for God, the fats and the kidneys and the lobes of the liver and put it on there. And that was God's portion. And and then the rest of it, you would take and you would celebrate this Shelamim as a a sacred meal. And that was your portion. And the idea was that that you were celebrating, you were incarnating, you were embodying the realization of peace and wellness with God. You even see this, um, it's all throughout scripture. Psalm 23 is the one that, that comes to my mind. Um, but, you know, you guys know, the, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Make me lie down in green pastures. And then it says, you preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's what it's talking about. So the idea was that God was the one who was going to broker peace in your life. You prepare a table. What was it talking about? This, this sacred table where peace was, was uh Brokered or was purchased, was secured, peace was secured. So the idea was is that you enter into and you and you have peace with God, peace in your soul. So the idea, this is the this is a revolutionary idea because what this would demonstrate to the Israelites as they begin to celebrate the, the Shelamim and they'd have these sacred meals is the idea was that listen, God is for you, not against you. God's desire, his goal is to have peace with you. He's not an angry God. He's not a violent God, a petulant God, just standing up in heaven waiting for you to mess up. In fact, that's why the first three of these offerings are all about gratitude and joy and peace and wellness. God was trying to drive home the point that I'm offering you peace. I am offering peace to you. And this was mind-bogglingly progressive. I don't even know if that's a real word, but it was, it, was, it was so progressive as a theology for that day that God is on your side. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to be like overwhelmed with anxiety, not knowing where you stand with this God. You don't have to have those moments of existential crisis where you're like, man, I'm a wreck. I'm a mess. Am I okay? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Am I? And no, God says, listen, I want to sit at the table and, and have peace with you. And I just think, what if today we had a ritual, if we had this way that we could, in our world, enable us to live in peace? What if peace for us wasn't this kind of symbolic, kind of this, you know, this kind of this idea, this philosophical, but what if peace was something that we physically enacted in our lives with each other and with God? 
So today, if you suffer from anxiety, or if you're under stress, if you have this thing inside of you that never, just always is telling you that you're not enough, you're not good enough, God says, I wanna, I've made a way that you can come and have wellness and have peace inside of your soul. We've got to stop there. We won't have time to do anything else. So guys, come up. Sorry, I took a little bit too much time today. We'll talk about these other offerings. Let me ask you three chapters. I, I get through that one. Today. So here's the here's the point. Let me ask you as we enter this time of worship. How do you hold on to those moments when things are good? You ever have a, you ever have, wake up to those moments and you're like, man, God, it's just it's just good. How do you do? How do you do that? And God is He's coming to us today and He says, listen, what worship is, what these rituals are, it's not about going through emotions. It's not like here's what you have to do as a believer to make me happy. These are ways that you can take that life and embody it inside of your soul. Do you have a sense in your life that you need to be more grateful? Have you gone through something hard? Are you going right now through something hard? Do you need peace with God? And if so, God invites us in this moment, into this time of worship, to grab hold of the joy, to grab hold of life. Father, as we worship you today, I ask God that you would bring us into those moments, Father. Open our eyes to your goodness. Father, fill our soul with peace. Anoint us with your presence that we would be up to the task and challenges that lie before us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.